might just see how far the Scottish Hammer can drill this <laughs> thing. Right. Inside the 10 yard line. Inside the 10, baby. Um, I think everybody knows what that was for. Just wanted to get payback. Um, he, had, he had it coming. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad we won and we dominated, so that's all it really matters. Um, it's been a good wake-up call for us, you know, to realize, um, you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing. We, we have to play our game. We have to give them our best shot. It's time to stop worrying about exactly what they're doing and do our job first and be able to adapt on the fly, like I said. Uh, we got to execute our job first and foremost. Talking Cleveland Browns football best fans in all of SB Nation. Now, here's your host, my dad, Delonia Seven. Sunday Morning Post. A very merry football morning to you and yours from Dogs by Nature. I'm your host, Delonia Seven, getting you ready for a Cleveland Browns game day. Ahead on the Sunday Morning Post, we're gonna talk about how the Browns can gain some measure of redemption for that debacle of a game that we witnessed on Monday night. We're also gonna focus on five games that we have a close eye on as Cleveland fans. And we're going to get into the matchup between the Browns and the Seattle Seahawks. We're gonna hear from Coach Carroll, Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, as well as our own Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, OBJ, Wilkes, and of course- You wanna be the defensive player of the year. You wanna be the best player on the field. That's right, later on, Miles Garrett joins us in the show. We've got a lot to get to, so without any further ado, let's get into it. Last Monday night, the Browns were dismantled 31-3 at the hands of the Shanahan. You know, we have some remnants of last week's game. It was definitely a difficult one for all who wear orange and brown to behold. Coming out of that game, there was, of course, the handshake story, which for me, I don't even have any desire to cover that story because it was ultimately, it was the ultimate non-story. But let's not kid ourselves. There is a deep, deep current of polarizing negative emotion surrounding quarterback Baker Mayfield. Now, some of that is due to what he's actually done in the past, in college. That Kansas game, you know, it was a problem. It was a criticism I had at the time. He was just, he just represented himself as a bad winner sometimes in these days. And due to that time, he has a list of people who want to knock his block off, if you will. They got him on their list, right? You know, some of that stuff was in the college. Some of it's in the pros. He spoke out against a player in Duke Johnson and he called out Coach Hugh Jackson. And if you understand a lot of the things that we've talked about in the past on this show, we talk about the issues that you have when you break the norms of the football hierarchy. When you do things like talk about players' contracts and when you talk about old coaches in a way that seems like it's out of the line, that's when those guys start to line up their arrows. You're going to feel that stuff from time to time when you're a player like Baker Mayfield and you say things the way you do and you speak without any qualms. Ever since John Dorsey selected Baker Mayfield with the first pick, 
I've been on board with the selection ride or die. But Monday night, <laughs> I had a little issue. I had a little bit of ambivalence when I witnessed Bosa's sack dance. You know, I felt nothing but positivity for Baker Mayfield right up until the ambivalence of that play. Listen to the remarks he made after the game. Um, I think everybody knows what that was for. Uh, just wanted to get payback. Um, How he, long had, he had it coming. How long were you thinking about that? Like, when did you come up with that idea? Um, probably during the bye. Me and me and my buddy Sam, who plays with the Bengals, um, he played DN with me that year. Um, and he and I told him I was going to do it, and then he was like, "Hey, I was going to do it when we play them." <laughs> um, but I'm glad I. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad we won and we dominated. So that's all that really matters. That same Hubbard. Yeah. So did you did you practice it at all? Or it I like kind of did. It was a little. <laughs> I was thinking like, do I need to practice it? Is it gonna look bad? <laughs> um, but yeah, I practiced a little bit in my room. Did you watch like clips? Because there was a video of like side by side, and it was almost. It was pretty accurate. I I mean the the image was in my head pretty good, so I kind of had a good idea. This was a difficult listen for me. As much as I'm still on board with Baker Mayfield, I definitely understand this could be a problem in the future if this kind of picture continues. Johnny Manziel and Baker Mayfield don't share much in common on the field, but off the field, they face very similar challenges because they draw so much hate and that they're such polarizing figures. I knew that Johnny Menzel was through when people were doing the money sign over him after they'd sack him. And you just saw the way this demoralized him and sort of demoralized the team in general. I don't think that's happening with Baker Mayfield. Listen to the tone he's setting. Um, it's been a good wake-up call for us, you know, to realize, um, you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing. We, we have to play our game. We have to give them our best shot. It's time to stop worrying about exactly what they're doing and do our job first and be able to adapt on the fly like I said uh, we got to execute our job first and foremost hey Baker we were asking Freddie and he said there's no carryover from one year to the next are you surprised that maybe you were able to just pick up where you did finish in the last year so strong uh, you know we're a different team um, yeah obviously I'm not happy that I'm not picking up with the same success that we ended off with but that's a part of the game. Uh, it's a part of the learning curve of, you know, getting better each week, trying to get better and trying to execute uh, and just, you know, knowing who we are as a team and what I need to do to, you know, ha make us have success. And uh, for me, it's it's about winning games. And so when we don't do that, I didn't do my job. What about personally from a performance standpoint? Do you think you're playing as well as you did to finish last season? Uh, I think there's certain areas I'm playing better than I have. Um, I could really care less about stats. Uh for me, it's, like I said, about winning. But there's there's some things pre-snap and also going through my reads that I'm proud of compared to last year. But uh, there's also a lot of areas that I can get better at. What are the elements that uh, make you think that the team might get in some sort of a groove? Uh, who we have in this locker room. Uh, I think it's along the lines of what I said a few weeks ago about sticking together, uh, not really caring what's going on the outside. Uh, you know, and I think we've identified the problem. Uh, and we're going to be able to go out there and, and, you know, do our best to eliminate those problems, those issues, and that's what type of team we have, uh, and we're going to ride together. Sunday Morning Post.
Baker Mayfield definitely setting the tone uh, with his words in terms of his expectations for the game this Sunday. We'll see if that can actually translate onto the field come game time. Now, in addition to Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens also has to redeem himself this week. Listen to how Kitchens describes the team's attitude and their preparation for this Sunday's contest. They're free to say whatever they want to say. I don't monitor them, and monitor is not the right word. I don't, I don't put a, uh, you know, I don't put restrictions on what they say. They just, yeah, our only rule is don't hurt the team. So, I don't think that hurt the team. You know, I would agree with him. You know? I mean, do you like the fact that maybe your team leaders are stepping up and saying we want to do more, whatever we can do to help the team win? I like, I like leaders, yes. And I think, uh, I think we've got a lot of guys that are trying to lead right now. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to us going out and playing well. Um, Casey Treader yesterday said he thought the Wednesday and Thursday practices were the Christmas of the season. Did you agree with that? I would. And I think you can add Friday to the mix now. I think all three days were very focused and uh, concentration level was very high. And the, um, you know, in and out of the huddle, the speed of in and out of the huddle and defensively getting lined up and things like that, the things that uh, are, are um, you know, very necessary uh, to be successful uh, were very good this week. you think it starts with a mental grasp of everything that you're trying to do? I think it's all encompassing. Uh, I think it starts with a desire that, that they want to do it. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, if they know what to do and know when to do it and know how to do it, they're successful. So I think that's all part of it, yeah. I, it probably sounds a bit weird, but make no mistake, that is the correct message and the correct tone. And generally speaking, when the players interact with the media, they're, they're not always saying the same things. They're saying what they need to say, but they are always on message. They're always about the team. They're always about wearing orange and brown first. In some way, you have to commend Freddie Kitchens for being able to cultivate that type of a uh, us versus them attitude in the clubhouse. This last week, especially after listening to the press conference after the San Francisco debacle, <laughs> I heard a lot of people express a lot of frustration with the aphorisms or the explanation or the apology that Freddie Kitchens gives after the team loses a game. I remember back in the day listening to Coach Pew uh, Jackson give his apologies, and it took me maybe a year of listening to him before I couldn't listen to it anymore. I just couldn't, I just couldn't hear him describe all the reasons why things weren't working. I couldn't hear him blame anybody else for why it was wrong. But you listen to the players, you listen to Freddie Kitchens, they're not throwing anybody under the bus. Um... Yeah, too much of a role. I don't. I don't know if I would say that. It's just, you know, uh, I like to put our guys out there to be successful. And when they're not successful, it's my fault because I didn't diminish the role or increase the role enough. Whatever it may be, I'll have to go back and look at it. Uh, he wasn't successful tonight, so ultimately that falls on me. 
Freddie Kitchens just needs a little more time. A little more time. If there was going to be a straight truth for this week, it would be that patience takes time. We don't give coaches a lot of time in Cleveland, and I really hope that people will take a step back and see the type of coach this guy is. If there's any way to get the potential out of guys like Antonio Callaway, it's because you have a coach like Kitchens that's able to shield him from the criticism that he might ordinarily have to deal with. Antonio Callaway could very easily end up the next Coco Coleman. Let's see if he can redeem himself this week. Also, Hollywood Higgins got us hyped for the Focus on 5. It was a tough one for the Focus on 5 this week. You will see why when we get to the first game in the Focus on 5. The first game this week is going to be the battle between the Dolphins and the team from the District of Columbia. I'm really curious to see who emerges victorious in this game. Shouldn't it be Washington, right? In either case, there's going to be one less winless team in pursuit of the highly coveted Hugh Jackson Cup of Futility. So, now that I said the Hugh Jackson Cup of Futility, I'm definitely covering this. Washington's a four-point favorite at home, but I'm not really sure who they're rolling out at quarterback. And you gotta feel like Josh Rosen is gotta be in position to win sometime this year. I think this is the game for them. With all the chaos in DC, I think Josh Rosen finally gets it done and gets them out of the, <laughs> the futility race. I think that somehow, some way, the greater DC region emerges as, as one of two possible teams to challenge for the HJCF. Game two in our focus on five has the Northern Kentucky Bengals traveling to the greater Chesapeake region to take on the Ravens. I don't feel too good about the possibilities of the Bengals producing some sort of an upset. In fact, Lamar Jackson thinks it's going to be just like last year. <laughs> Mar, you, uh, you made your first career start against Cincinnati. Do you have any uh, fond memories of, of that game from last year? Uh, from last year? Uh, yeah, I remember us winning the game. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, this year, the same result, so that's all I need to remember. <laughs> yeah. Lamar, as my esteemed colleague pointed out on Twitter this week, the sacks each week, one, two, three, four, and up to five mm -hmm. in the last game. And some of those look like you end up turning into. Right, right. What are you learning about that, and, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you fix that? Uh, just, you know, the, the defensive line do great jobs, you know, of doing whatever their stance is, you know, to try to keep me in the pocket um, when the stuff not downfield, not, um, you know, develop or open and stuff like that. So I just got to do a better job of getting, getting out, um, not trying to have set, um, set records on far off this line. So. The Bengals defensive line can play, so, you know, there's that. But 
I don't know how you can do anything but take those 10.5 points for the Ravens. It looks like Northern Kentucky is still in the hunt for the HJFC. So moving right along, let's get to Game 3 this week. It's the Texans at the Chiefs. The Texans bring a 2-3 record into Arrowhead Stadium. But the Chiefs are a 4-point favorite. And this is a game that's very difficult to pick on paper because of the way the Chiefs performed last week. Let's hear how Mahomes is feeling coming into this game. Can you kind of quantify where you are with the ankle and how close, not, not even 100%, but just to where you really feel like you need to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I actually feel pretty good today. I, I feel like after the game, I mean, it was sore after the game, but it, it's feeling pretty good today. So I'm glad to get, be able to go out there and practice on it and get it moving around and stuff like that. But it, it's it's definitely, I feel like I'll be fine playing and moving around and still doing what I, what I need to do to win. When you say pretty good, I mean, is it? Yeah, I mean, obviously when you only put up 13 points, uh, that, that that's not a good enough effort uh, to win in this league. Uh, so for us, they they had a good game plan. They they got they got stops when they needed to get stops. I feel like we moved the ball a little bit, and that we but we couldn't get it into the red zone to get those scores. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they they played good on, uh, as a defense, and we got to be better. And we can't have penalties, and we can't turn the ball over whenever we get our chances. Okay, I feel pretty good about my homes winning this game. I'm going to take the Chiefs, but if Deshaun Watson finds a way to get this game. If he finds a way to get it done, I think we're going to have to take a little more closer look at what he's doing in uh, Houston, for sure. Now we're on to game number four. The Steelers versus the Chargers. The Steelers are a six and a half point underdog on the road. The team from southwestern Pennsylvania travels to the Sunshine State. This game is on the list because the Chargers come into this game with a record of 2-3. And and they're behind the Browns because of the Browns record in the AFC being at 2-1. But the Chargers have a similar record to the Browns and I want to see how they're going to be able to deal with the challenge that's brought to them from the Allegheny region. I'm going to go with the Chargers in this one, but we'll see what happens. This Sunday at 1 p.m., the Seattle Seahawks travel to Ohio Edison Stadium to take on your Cleveland Browns. The Seahawks are led at quarterback by Russell Wilson, also led at running back by Chris Carson, and at wide receiver by Tyler Lockett. Seattle last traveled to Cleveland in 2011 when Colt McCoy took on Charlie Whitehurst in a 6-2-3 affair. Seattle has scored 20 or more points in its last 13 games. However, this week, issues with the offensive line may leave that streak in question. Seattle is now a one-point underdog on the road. Let's hear from Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and Chris Carson about what they're looking forward to in this game. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, we're going to Cleveland. and uh, We're leaving today, and the guys are ready to roll. We had a fantastic week. Um, very upbeat throughout the week, coming off the Thursday, and uh, everybody's really tuned in, and, and it, it worked out right. Uh, so um, looking forward to it, and expecting them to be at their best. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, we have they got a bunch of problems they present for us, so we're, hopefully we've got it worked out, and 
uh, we, can, we can put together a good ball game. Are you firing up Google Google Maps again for Cleveland? Oh yeah, it's, it's been fired up. It's ready to roll. Google Maps has helped. Uh, check out state. I'm excited to play. I haven't played in Cleveland yet, so I'm um, from Ohio. I was born there in Cincinnati, but uh, haven't been to, uh, haven't played there yet. And um, I know growing up, uh, I used to watch the games, you know, just because I'm Cincinnati and Ohio and just Cleveland and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited to play there. First time playing there. It's a tough environment. I've always heard. Um, I always hear it's super loud and. And uh, they have they have a great crowd, so they have a really good team too. So we gotta be ready to go. How long did you live in Cincinnati? I was really young. I, I moved when I was about two, but we used to go back every year, a couple times a year. So all the way till about high school, really. Um, so I, I had a lot of family, family and family friends that lived there. Sit town. Um, I want to say Springfield, Spring something. I think I'm not positive. To be honest with you, it's bad. I know. I haven't been there since 11th grade. I don't think. When you're prepping for the Browns. How big a factor is Miles Garrett? Well, yeah, Miles Garrett looks amazing on film. He's making. I think he's got seven sacks, seven or eight sacks. He's making a lot of plays. Um, I got to. I got to spend a little bit of time with him. Uh, you know, uh, this summer. Um, around the SPs week, just being around them and stuff like that. Just a just a great person. Does a lot of amazing things um, off the field. Obviously, the, the the player on the field. He's a, he's a superstar. But you know, off the field, all the things he does. I know he, you know he's really kind of the leader and help you know help leading Water Boys and all the things they've been doing. Just community stuff. And so he's just a great overall player. Great person. So um, we're expecting uh, him, you know him to to bring his best for sure. Part. Were you able to watch the uh, Monday night game with the Browns? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Um, I tried not to watch too much football outside of football, but um, it was kind of like a homework assignment, you would say, since we played them. So, yeah, uh, I watched a little bit of it. Because uh, the 49ers were able to run against them there mm -hmm. in the defense. What would what, you pick up on that, or did you pick up anything? Uh, man, the 49ers did a great job running the ball. You know what I'm saying? It changes each and every week. You know, just because a team does a good thing on uh, – on one side of the ball or whatever, like, you know what I'm saying, the running game may be good one week, but the next week, you know, the defense shuts down the, that run in the pass game is running an open or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's it always changes week in, week out. Um, so you can't really just rely on that one game to be like, oh, yeah, so now the Seahawks are going to rush for 250 or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, at the end of the day, it's the NFL. They're going to make adjustments. Uh, they're going to come out ready to play. Steve Wilkes and his boys look to counter the attack of Chris Carson and Russell Wilson this Sunday. Uh, to say that uh, we didn't play well Monday night uh, is an understatement. Um, very embarrassing uh, the way the defense performed. Um, and I take full blame and responsibility for that. Uh, it's definitely not indicative of who we are. I think when you look at the identity of this defense, uh, each week you're going to tweak a few things. And in the uh, previous two weeks, uh, I did that, and we performed well. What I did, uh, I got outside the fundamentals of what we do. And what you saw Monday night, you saw a defense that was thinking too much, uh, that couldn't get a line, uh, that played slow. And when you see that as a unit, uh, that's on me. And uh, we're going to get back to doing what we do, um, fundamentals and technique, uh, the identity of what we established uh, from day one. And uh, we're going to get this thing turned around. And we started that yesterday. On the offensive side of the football, the Cleveland Browns are led by Baker Mayfield, who brings in a 4-8 to eight 
touchdown to interception ratio into this contest. Baker's looking for redemption this Sunday. Let's hear what Freddie Kitchens thinks about what the team needs to do to be successful. This whole thing is centered around everybody doing their job. So I think uh, we've done a good job in our locker room of identifying people need to do their job. So I think when you start talking about that, you start talking about holding people accountable. Uh, and I think ultimately that's what leaders uh, do. And I feel like our leaders on this team have done a good job this week of trying to get involved in doing that. Let's see if Kitchens can continue to generate touches for his playmakers. Um, I hate losing, period. So anytime we lose and I don't feel like I did anything to, to help uh, win the game, I'm going to be frustrated. That's um, just the bottom line. I'm a, I'm a winner in my heart, and I hate losing. So. Okay, is, this, is this season in danger of, of slipping away if you guys don't get things going quickly? Um, you know, right now the season can go either way. You know, we're at that fork in the road. Um, and, and it's funny, we're all having these conversations, whereas I feel like in the past this team might have been 1-4, 0-5, and now we're all upset because we're 2-3. and three. Um, So that's a good mindset that we have, that we're upset that we're 2-3, and three, and we know that we're capable of doing more. It's just about doing more. Miles Garrett also knows it's about the defense's performance on the field. This defense has got to respond to the challenge that is Russell Wilson. That was one of the best plays of the year, you know, up to now. So it's you know, guys gotta you know keep on playing. You know, we gotta keep on rushing until you know he's you know completely down. And make sure when you have him wrapped up, you try and get the ball out because. If you if you don't, then you no, know, he's gonna find a way to escape, and uh, he's gonna find someone eventually. You know, you got a plaster on the back end because you know you never know. You know, you think the play's over, you think he's, you got two guys on him, and he slips out, and he, your guy's running free, and he finds him, hits him, a quick six. Plaster, what does that look like to somebody who's watching the game? No man. So I mean, it's like I mean, whether you're playing man or you're playing zone. No, once you once uh, the play breaks down, he is, he lose the the rush and he breaks the pocket and you plaster to the closest man to you. So whoever's the closest receiver, tight end, anybody who's able to receive the ball, you no, know, just you no, know, stick to his head. You use it the same kind of philosophies when you play a guy like Lamar that you can't let him get outside the edges when you're. Yeah, but I'm also not going to play behind blocks like I did with Lamar. You know, I felt like I was you know, sitting behind trying to make sure that he was, you know, wasn't escaping. And I did, did more of that than I did rushing. So that was not very enjoyable for me. And uh, I want to make sure I do you know, more rushing of him and more sacking than I am just you know, sitting and waiting. You know, as good as Russell Wilson has been this year, I'm surprised that Vegas has Cleveland a one-point favorite at all. Well, the Browns are at home, which has not been that good for them this year. On the other hand, even though I'm praying for a different result, I think the Seahawks find a way to win this game, leaving the Browns to regroup for an even more difficult game next week. Well, I hope that they prove me wrong. This is definitely a week for redemption, and I hope that the Browns can find some this Sunday at Ohio Edison Stadium. 
Well, with that, we'll put this episode in the books. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Post. My name is Thelonious7 on Dogs by Nature. Take care and have a happy game day. Go Browns and Dog Check. This is the Sunday Morning Post.